Welcome to Mind, Body, Spirit, Food. I'm your host, Nikki Sizemore, and in this podcast, we'll explore the rituals, traditions, and cultural influences around food and how they connect us to our minds, our bodies, our spirits, the earth, and our communities. This is a space that's dedicated to bringing more presence, ease, and joy into the process of feeding ourselves. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I have such a fun episode for you today. The topic is all about baking. And if you think baking is just for the cooler months, you are mistaken. I speak with my friend, Samantha Senevaratna, James Beard Award-nominated cookbook author and host of the television series Everyday Cooking on Magnolia Network. Sam describes how she found her passion for baking as a kid and how that has led her into a flourishing career as a writer, food stylist, and television host. We talk about Sam's favorite baked goods. P.S. You're going to learn her tips for making the very best chocolate chip cookies. Sam also shares how she finds inspiration for her recipes. We discuss how to use summer fruits and mouthwatering desserts and baked goods. And Sam offers tips for becoming a more experimental baker. Sam and I also discuss the emotional aspect of baking and how baking and really feeding ourselves consciously can be a delicious form of self-care. Take warning that you are going to leave this conversation hungry and inspired to go turn on your ovens. As always, if you enjoy the episode, you can support it by rating it on your podcast app, leaving a comment, or sharing it with friends. You can also sign up for the Mind Body Spirit Food newsletter, where you'll receive weekly new recipes, tips, interviews, and more. All right, my friends, let's dive in. Hi, welcome. Hey, Nikki. So good to see you. Well, we can see each other, but everybody else is just (laughs) hearing us. For those of you listening, Sam and I actually worked together as interns like 100 million years ago at Severn Magazine, and that's when we first met. That is true. That was my first job in food media. My first, I mean, you know, as an unpaid intern. Yes. But Nikki and I used to shop together because of our, our wonderful boss, knew how much we liked each other. So she used to let us go shopping I together. Know. Liz, Isn't that so Lizzie. sweet? <laughs> so much fun. And that was the same for me. That was just, I was just out of culinary school and you were too, right? I think I was still in culinary school when I had that internship. Yeah. So I was doing that on my off school days and off work days. I was working then too. So yeah, it was crazy times. <laughs> Nuts. <laughs> but we did it. We did it. And it's so fun to see where you've gone and what you're up to. And so let's just dive right in. I'm going to start by asking you the first question I ask all of my guests. Okay. And that is, what is your cultural upbringing and how has that influenced your relationship to food? It's a big question. I know it can be a loaded question. So feel free <laughs> just to go there. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So my cultural upbringing, my parents are from Sri Lanka. I was born here. My brother and I were both born in the U.S. I think as far as food goes, when we got here, my parents, or when they got here, my parents were really interested in us being as, you know, kind of assimilating and being as American as possible. And, you know, we were little kids in the suburbs of Connecticut. And so we wanted to eat all the things that were you know, American and fun and available and convenient. I mm-hmm. think, you know, we really loved box brownies and 
cookies. And I mean, those are the like sweets that I grew up with that made me love dessert. Mm. So that's where my culinary upbringing started. As older adults, my parents really like to cook now, I think. Yeah. But when it was a part of the daily slog of our lives, I don't think anyone was really that interested in food or cooking. We kind of, we ate well. My mom's a good cook. She cooked for us every night. We ate really well, but nobody really cared Mm -hmm. about food for a long time. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 It just wasn't important. (laughs) I grew up with two working parents and it was the same. Like food was always... It was always our celebration, but from a day-to-day basis, it was a ton of takeout. It was a ton of like fast mm-hmm. food, ton of processed food. And that was also the generation that you and I grew up in. Totally. So where did your love for food, where did that originate or when? <laughs> Maybe the question is when. When? I mean, I wanted to become a baker since I was a little kid. I was five years old when I knew I was going to be working. I wanted to make sweets. I wanted to make bread. I wanted to have mm-hmm. my hands in dough. Since I was a little kid, and I really think it was something I saw on Sesame Street when I was a tiny, (laughs) a tiny kid that just really resonated with me and just stayed with me. And I was like, oh, that's, that is what I should be doing. And then I started baking at home. I really wanted an easy bake oven, but my mom said, no, why don't you just bake in the regular oven? Which now as an adult, that makes a a lot more sense. But at the time I was crushed. But then (laughs) I was able to do a lot of baking from a young age. She would just, you know, if I found a recipe in a book, she would sort of say, you know, do whatever you want. I'll get you the ingredients. So I started sort of experimenting when I was little and seeing what I could do. And then, you know, got more advanced as I grew up. I really think it was television probably that got me first excited about food. Absolutely. I describe in my background, it was 100% television. First for me, it was PBS because this Mm -hmm. was before the Food Network. But I really, my mom, again, today, she's a great cook. She loves to cook. But growing up, you know, she did not have the time. So I really learned a lot from the Food Network when it was like the old school Food Network Mm -hmm. where it was actual cooking shows. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Good old days. (laughs) (laughs) This is kind of a side note, but just curious, did Sri Lankan flavors play a part in your everyday cuisine or was it pretty much like American style food? I think it took me a long time to sort of appreciate Sri Lankan flavors. I think as a kid, you know, I just didn't want to be different, which, you know, probably makes sense to a lot of people. And my mom definitely made Sri Lankan food at least, you know, a couple times a week, but it was never the thing I wanted Mm. until I got older. Like now I love Sri Lankan food. And, you know, we would travel back to Sri Lanka to visit my grandparents, my aunts and uncles and eat really excellent Sri Lankan food. So Mm. when it was mixed in with the family experience is when I got really interested in it. But at home back in Connecticut, I didn't really realize how great it was until I got older. Sure. And just for some of us, you know, some listeners who might not be familiar with what that cuisine is like, can you just highlight some of the flavors that Mm -hmm. resonate with you that stick out? (laughs) My favorite thing about Sri Lankan food is coconut milk, I think, Mm. or coconut, just coconut in general. Yes. Tons of coconut oil, tons of coconut, grated coconut, coconut milk. It's so delicious. It's so good. And then, you know, beautiful spice mixes and herbs and it's got a lot going on. I think I published a recipe for a chicken curry recently in the New York Times. And I think there are like, I don't know, 17 ingredients, maybe 20. There's a huge list of ingredients because there's a lot going on, you know, like a curry 
powder has like seven different spices in it. Mm. So it's nuanced and there's yeah. so much depth. Yeah, so much depth. I mean, it's so good. I'm not a very accomplished cook of Sri Lankan food, but I aspire to be. I mm. wish though, the sad thing is that I wasn't as into food when we were going back when I was a kid and I I didn't really realize that I wouldn't have my grandparents forever. Sure. And so I didn't really do enough to really document or learn everything they had to teach me. But yeah, I think that goes for so many of us. I mean, my grandmother, my dad's mom was a great cook and she cooked all the holiday meals and kids were not really allowed in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> She would have been kind of annoyed <laughs> if I had been like, hey, Grandma, how do you make your you know, you prime rib or, mm-hmm. or twice baked potatoes were amazing. So I think a lot of people can resonate with that, you know. But this episode today, we're going to focus on baking. Yeah. But before I know, before we <laughs> jump into that, can you just catch us up to speed as to what you do these days for a living? Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, Nikki, so many things these days. <laughs> right now I'm finishing up another cookbook. So my fourth cookbook, this one is called Bake Smart. It is mm. available for pre-order if anybody's interested. But that one's coming out in the fall. Also, I just finished a season of a show on Magnolia Network called Everyday Cooking, which Yay. is basically, you know, dinner solutions, very family-friendly food, all food, not just baking. I also work as a food stylist here in New York City for different, I mean, a million different places, whoever will hire me. <laughs> <laughs> and what else do I do? Nikki? I develop recipes for magazines and newspapers and things like that. I mean, I think you're similar, right? Like we're so lucky in this industry because there's a million different ways that we can apply our skills. So it really, it never, ever gets boring. It's very true. It's very true. (laughs) Well, I can't wait to dive into the topic of baking with you because I, unlike you, I always, from a very young age, knew I wanted to be in the kitchen and knew I wanted to cook, but I didn't know I wanted to be a cook. I just made cooking shows and did experiment it. (laughs) I never thought of myself as a baker. And in fact, I would say it wasn't until, gosh, I'm connecting these dots right now. It probably wasn't until I had to cut gluten out of my diet after my oldest was born about 11 years ago that I really started to embrace baking. And now I love baking and my listeners and my readers know that my style of baking is very rustic. It's very wholesome, but it's also very emotional for me. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the emotions behind baking. Does any of this resonate? Like for me, it's like I need comfort. I turn on the oven and I start that kind of methodical act of baking. Do you Mm -hmm. find any of that or what is it for you? I think it's different (laughs) for every person. (laughs) I mean, it's funny now because I feel like once I made it my career, it sort of took over in a different way. But when I first fell in love with baking, it definitely was about comfort. You know, there's something so satisfying about watching these simple ingredients turn into something magical. I mean, you can say that for cooking too, but I think it's even more so with baking because you start with things just, you know, like flour and butter and sugar, but then it turns into this most wonderful, surprising, delicious experience. So for me, baking, I mean, I love a project when I need a distraction. I mean, baking is kind of like yoga to me Mm. because, you know, it sort of takes your mind off other things. You can sort of be really present, really focused. And 
sort of try to enjoy the process as much as the final product. So there's two parts to it, right? The process mm-hmm. and then the final product. And the thing is, you don't ever need to bake, right? Like you have to feed your family, yeah. you have to cook every day, you have to eat to live. You don't really need to bake. You don't really need to eat cookies. But mm. you need to on another level. Yeah. I need to on another <laughs> level. You know, uh, like 100%. Because it, it's just for joy. It's just for pleasure. And it's just for making yourself and the people you love happy. Yeah. So that was a lot of different elements. But I feel like baking satisfies a lot of different things for me. When you bake just for you, just for the sheer pleasure of it, what's the Mm -hmm. first thing that comes to mind that you would make for yourself? Well, my ultimate favorite thing to bake and eat is a chocolate chip cookie. Mm. I mean, it's just the simplest, most perfect chocolate chip cookie. And it has to be warm. It can't be old. (laughs) Okay, so let's dive into some of your chocolate chip cookie tips. Oh, good one. Yeah, like what is your ideal chocolate chip cookie? And is there a technique there that you can share? My ideal, I know people are very particular and there's lots of different kinds. (laughs) They are. (laughs) And same with brownies. Like you get people started on brownies. But I like a chocolate chip cookie that is crunchy on the outside, crunchy along the edges, but then sort of soft in the center. I want some deep caramelization. Mm. I want some color on that cookie. I don't want it to be pale. I like bittersweet chocolate. So I like it to be a little bit dark. And I don't like chips. I'm really anti-chocolate chip. Mm, I'm just writing. I have a a recipe coming out next week. And I'm just writing about why you should not use chocolate (laughs) chips in this cake. (laughs) I know. No, chocolate chips absolutely serve a purpose. And I I understand why people like them. But, you know, I don't. Yeah, you know, we know. I don't like how they hold their shape in that way. I don't like how they're only one size. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you use bar chocolate and you chop it, you have all these different sizes. So you have like big pools of chocolate, little teeny flecks of chocolate. And it sort of, I don't know, it just makes the whole cookie feel more diverse and more interesting as you work through it. Yes, I love that. I also really want it to be salty. I think it has to have a lot of salt. You are describing (laughs) my ideal cookie scenario. Oh, don't you want? I kind of want one now, too. <laughs> do you chill your dough before scooping? I do. I definitely do. I mean, obviously, I understand that there are just times when you need your cookie immediately and you can't sure. wait. But it makes such a difference. It mm-hmm. makes a difference in the color. It makes a difference in the flavor. It makes a difference in how much it spreads and how even the bake is. It's just always tastes better when you rest the dough, if mm. you ask me. Don't you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it for me, for with gluten-free flowers, it hydrates those doughs too and often oh, yeah. allows things to, you know, thicken and absorb. And so, yes. Yeah. Now, you're a mom. Mm-hmm. How old is your son these days? He is going to be six in a couple what? months. So I know. Can you believe it? <laughs> what do you love baking for Arthur? Arthur is funny. I feel like because he has a mom who bakes regularly. Honestly, he doesn't want my baked goods. He would much (laughs) rather have a lollipop or like a piece of any kind of candy. I think just because that's not, you know, that's not what's available to him at all times. So that's more appealing. I mean, you know, he'll eat my desserts. 
Yeah. <laughs> but like, they're not the thing he actually wants all the time. Yeah. Because it just seems so boring. It's just like, oh, you made more cookies, whatever. Yeah. But, okay, can't we get some packaged cookies? Can't we get some, you know, he wants, you know, the I same story at yeah. our house. My <laughs> oldest daughter, Ella, has the biggest sweet tooth and she fully has like her candy stash in the pantry. And even yesterday, I was testing this recipe that's coming out and it's this ch- like chocolate spoon cake. It was warm mm. out of the oven. I had vanilla ice cream on top and I'm like in seventh heaven. And she's just like, I'm just going to have a piece of candy instead. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, what in the, who are you? (laughs) But you're right. For her, it's just like, first of all, it's like the fifth time I've tested it. So she's like, I'm done. (laughs) I'm over it. (laughs) So another question I have for you is where do you get your inspiration? I know that as you mentioned, so much of this is just for your job. And so I'm assuming Mm -hmm. a lot of your inspiration comes from editors and people you work with. But where else do you find inspiration for flavors and techniques? Traveling. Traveling Mm -hmm. is my favorite thing to do in the whole world. Thankfully, we're in New York City, so there's a lot of inspiration to be had here. But I find that traveling just really helps me grow and helps me you know, just new smells, new flavors, even just the experience of being in a new place and eating a thing always gives me new ideas. So as much as possible, it's obviously it's hard with a little one and work and all things, but as much as I can, getting out of my normal life Mm -hmm. and just seeing other people eat or cook or shop or whatever, just walking along new streets gives me new ideas. That's the best way for me. Has there been a recent travel experience that has had an impact on you? Last summer, a friend of mine and I rented a house in France for a month, which was just the most luxurious thing in the whole world. Dream. Yeah, it was on this little island. And I brought my son, Arthur, and she brought her daughter. And we basically just, you know, would do what they do. You know, we bike to the market every morning to figure out what we were going to cook for the day. And I mean, just the fruits that we encountered, Mm. it was the best fruit I've eaten in maybe my life, I really think. And so that really just exploded the flavors of of all those fruits, really just like kicked something up in my brain, I think, because it's just been so long too. I feel like on the Northeast, we really have to suffer through some long winters (laughs) that... uh, yes don't have, you know, the fruits aren't the best throughout the winter, but there were these little green plums in France that just tasted like sunshine and sweetness. And I just want to bake with them for the rest of my life, but I can't find them anywhere here. So, (laughs) But I'll get ideas from that and and move forward that way. Yeah. We actually, that's so funny because my family and I spent 10 days in the south of France last summer as well. Magic. It really, really was. And honestly, even just exposing my kids, we would walk to the market every day Mm -hmm. and we always had breakfast and lunch at our little Airbnb. And just the exposure to that, like that sensory exposure, which Mm -hmm. is interesting because, you know, I live in the Hudson Valley. We have great farmer's markets, but there's something different and particularly (laughs) the climate down there. And you're right. Just the fruit was like... Just so sweet and so juicy and so much more direct. I felt like the flavors were so much more direct and Mm -hmm. intense than they are Mm -hmm. here. So much more intense. So much more intense. 
I mean, maybe we wouldn't appreciate it so much if we had it all the time, but that was magic. Hi there. I just wanted to pop in really quickly and let you know that an easy way that you can support this work is to sign up for the Mind, Body, Spirit Food Newsletter. In the weekly newsletter, you'll get brand new recipes each week, along with my thoughts, ideas, and practical tips for how to bring more ease and joy and freedom into the kitchen. The newsletter is free, although if you become a paid subscriber for just a couple bucks a month, you'll have access to the full recipe archive, along with Q&As, weekly threads, and other fun perks. And if you're already a subscriber, thank you. You can share the newsletter with your friends or even give a gift subscription. I've popped a link into the show notes where you can sign up. Thank you all for listening. And now back to the show. This podcast is going to launch as we're heading into the warmer months of late spring and summer. And I know that a lot of people don't don't think of baking in the summer, but actually it's one of my favorite times to bake because pie is my favorite thing to bake. And Mm -hmm. I can't think of a better season to highlight the fruits and even the vegetables. You know, we can talk about savory baking as well. Mm -hmm. What about summer baking? Can we talk about this? Is this something you do or maybe it's just me? (laughs) No, of course. No, because like we just talked about, the fruits are really magical in the summertime, obviously. So that's when we get to do all our pies and fruit bars and things like that. So I just can't wait for sour cherries. That's what I look Mm. forward to every year. They're my absolute favorite. And they're only around for just, you know, one short little minute. So usually I buy as many as I can and then pit them and freeze them so that I have them for later. But really, it's the most fun to bake with them right when you get them home. They're warm and delicious. Okay. Tell us, you've got to share, what are you making with sour cherries? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. A million, well, any manner of sour cherry pies, sour cherry hand pies. Usually what I do because they're so sour is I make mm-hmm. a sort of compote or jam or something like that and then put them into other things, you know, like swirl that through a pound cake mm-hmm. or even just put that on top of ice cream. I find it a little bit harder to sort of just incorporate the raw fruit into things because they're so juicy and so sour. But yeah, I want to make like a almond, maybe like a, I want to use marzipan maybe and make some kind of like almondy, bready pound cake with like a delicious sour cherry compote swirled through. That sounds That's on my mind. like heaven. That sounds like my favorite dessert, <laughs> like the flavor of almond. I put almond, well, obviously I use a lot of almond flour because I don't eat regular, I can't eat regular flour, but almond extract, all those flavors of cherry and almond are just so perfect together. Perfect. I know. Almond extract is a divisive it is. extract. <laughs> and I am 100% on board with almond it's extract. It's like cilantro. <laughs> People yeah, hate right? it or love. And a little bit goes a long way. I mean, the thing is with almond extract, like a little bit goes a long way. It's true. So let's talk about peaches. We're going to be heading up into peach season. And for me, uh, a perfectly ripe peach is just, you know, there's very little you actually need to do with it. But if we're going to talk about baking with peaches, do you have any tips or any suggestions? Peaches are tricky because it's so hard to find those perfect, perfect ones. I actually use a lot throughout the year. I use a lot of frozen peaches Mm -hmm. in my baking because I think that it's easier to find a 
peach with flavor if you go frozen, unless you're in the exact yeah. right season. It's a great tip. But, oh my gosh, what was the last thing I made with peaches? I don't know. I like to make sort of like semi-fredo or desserts like that with fresh peaches when they're that sweet. I feel like ice cream and custards and things like that, when they're really perfectly in season, to not cook them too much mm. and use them in like a cream pie topped with fresh peaches or something like that. Mm. That would be really good. That right? sounds amazing. <laughs> you are making me so hungry during this episode. I love this. <laughs> what are you making with peaches? <laughs> you know, I do this weird thing, which it's like, I love roasting peaches, first of all, mm. especially if they're not perfect because peaches and cardamom are like two of my favorite <sighs> flavor combinations. And so to do some like roasted peaches with spices and mm. things, and I'll use that as a topping for ice cream or as a topping for pound cake. I also love grilling peaches and I'll drizzle them with honey. So this is not really baking. <laughs> but I guess another thing I love to do is an upside down cake with peaches, but mm. it's a little tricky because I haven't quite nailed it because it really does depend on the fruit and sometimes it's yeah. just too juicy. <laughs> I know that's the upside down cake trauma. It is. It's like sometimes, you know, like it's sometimes it's perfect and sometimes it's a little soggy, but it's always delicious it's always even when good. it's not perfect, perfect. Mm. Lately, I've been really into making What's that dish? Oh, Eaton Mess. You know that where you crumble up meringue and whipped cream. So oh. you could do that with peaches. You make a, like a roasted peach compote and then swirl that with whipped cream and broken up pieces of meringue. I love that, that dessert. It's so simple. amazing. But it's so delicious. And there's so many contrasting textures that are really good. Yeah. Cool and crunchy and fruity. It's so good. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because as a cook, while I do love to bake, I still kind of think of myself as more of a cook. But for me, it's all about building texture and building flavor. Mm -hmm. And I think that we forget that when we're having dessert or having baked goods, that those principles still apply. That totally. it's not just a one-dimension sweet thing. Ideally. Yeah. <laughs> you want to finish <laughs> Like you said, you want the saltiness in your chocolate chip cookie. For me, I want the creamy contrast with something crunchy or the cold mm -hmm. contrast with something warm. What are some other general tips that come to mind that you think can help people kind of amplify their baking game? Even if they're making the same recipes that they normally make, how could they can just add a little bit more pizzazz <laughs> to their regular recipes? Ooh, I love this question. I think experimenting with spice is a great idea. I mean, I think you can feel comfortable sort of swapping things out if you always make the same granola with cinnamon. Maybe you try using cardamom in the next time or something like that. I think spices are a really easy and fun way to amp things up or take them in a different direction. I also think that you can kind of, if you play up spices, I mean, I wrote a whole book about it, but if you sort of play up your spices, you can take down the sugar a little bit and sort of create a more interesting dessert that's not necessarily just straightforward and sweet. Mm -hmm. So I always recommend spices. What are other things people can do? I mean, there's, I, 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 one day I want to write a whole book just about swaps, swapping things out yeah. because once you get comfortable yeah. 
baking, I know that baking makes people a little more nervous, but you know, like that pie that you always make with apples, try it in the summer with plums. You know, Mm -hmm. like it'll be more juicy. You might have to adjust the thickener a little bit, but just there is room for experimentation and baking. I know that people feel nervous about it, but if you start with a solid recipe from someone that you trust, I think it's pretty easy to swap out different fruits or different spices or even different sugars. You know, like you want to swap some brown sugar in for some white sugar to give it a little bit more of a molasses, you know, dimension. That's cool. There's a lot of room for fun in baking. And I feel like people get a little tied up in following the recipe exactly. But I think be brave and try. Yeah. Yeah, No, that's so liberating, I think, for a lot of people to hear. That's certainly what turned me off of baking for a long time. (laughs) Because I was like, I get it. It's too precise. And then once I had to, you know, own it, (laughs) because I have a sweet tooth, and all of a sudden I was gluten-free. And at that time, there was like, not a lot of options. But you do start to realize like experimentation Mm-hmm. There is absolutely room for experimentation. And yeah, of course, like with anything else, it's not always going to be perfect. But this is where I talk about this all the time. Like, let's just get rid of this idea of perfection. And mm-hmm. perfectionism in baking, you see, oh, man, social media, you, you make the perfect cake, the the most flawless icing. And I just want to be like, that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the point. And yeah, and it sort of robs you of the like, pleasure of baking in the first place, I think, if you get tied up in that, if you get too concerned with that. There's a whole world of like fun experimentation. And the thing is, I mean, what I think is that when you experiment with cooking, it can go wrong and then you've kind of ruined dinner. But when you've experimented with baking, it's like, it's usually still sweet. And it's usually like, you can throw some ice cream on anything (laughs) and make it delicious. Like it's real. I think it's kind of almost, that's not true. It's not impossible, but it's hard to really make an inedible dessert. Do you think that's true? I think that's true. I remember a girlfriend of mine in college made chocolate chip cookies and we still give her a hard time about it, but she made these and they all sort of like morphed into this one big sort of greasy pile on the sheet (laughs) pan. And I remember we were all kind of like, whatever, like let's just get spoons and eat it anyway. It still tastes good. I mean, for you and I, we make stuff that doesn't work all the time. I mean, I'm all the time. (laughs) When you're testing baked goods, it's never, I mean, it's like a unicorn every once in a while where the first test, it's like, this is amazing. But (laughs) most often the first test, you're like, oh, okay, this is really dense. Listen, we always eat it because like you said. Eat it anyway. It's sweet. (laughs) It's It's sweet. sweet. (laughs) Yeah. The flavor. Yeah. It's kind of the great thing about dessert. It's only like if you add salt instead of sugar, then (laughs) Then you're in trouble. Yes, (laughs) of course. I mean, yes, there are some things. You can burn something completely and then it's not edible. But up until that point, I feel like almost all mistakes in baking are edible. Yeah. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. And just to have fun. Just to have fun. I love this. Mm -hmm. I want to circle back to something you said this is another thing that I've written about, really about the process and not about the end result. And Mm -hmm. cooking for me is a form of self-care. It is also a necessity. Mm -hmm. And yes, it can also be a chore, but yes, it can also be a form of self-care. How does baking 
fit in for you personally? You mentioned yoga. You mentioned that. <laughs> I love that. But how does how does that fit within your idea of self-care or how you care for yourself personally? Oh, I love this question. I mean, I think there's a time of day when once my son has gone to sleep and the dishes are done and the house is quiet and nobody needs me and nobody's calling me where I can just, you know, I like to keep frozen cookie dough that I've already made and portioned in the freezer. So Mm -hmm. then I can bake, you know, one cookie from frozen that's just for me that I don't have to share. And it can be warm and ready for me in my quiet house that I could eat by myself and just have Mm. a moment. And I think that, you know, just taking time to feed yourself is really, Mm. really important. And I think it's really easy to forget. And whether that's, you know, cookies or your lunch or whatever, but I feel like the way that we work these days the way that we take care of our families these days, it doesn't really leave a lot of time to just sit and be quiet and focus on feeding yourself. So Mm. for me, that means like with a book and a cup of tea and a warm cookie by myself in my room with my door shut, you know, like that Mm. kind of thing, that self-care to me. I used to be able to sort of, you know, like spend a whole day making croissants from scratch and and that was it. But, you know, time doesn't really allow that. So Mm -hmm. if it just means a cup of tea and a cookie by myself, that's great. But Mm. everybody needs a moment, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody needs to take a moment sometimes to just feed themselves. And so that's how I do it. Mm. I absolutely (laughs) love that. There is this notion that we have lost about feeding ourselves, you know, Mm -hmm. especially as moms, we are expected to feed others. And mm-hmm. it's almost like a gift to ourselves. And yet it should be, it should be commonplace and normal, but it really takes some consciousness to mm-hmm. feed ourselves deliberately and with compassion and with love, just as we would, you know, our kids. So I mm-hmm. think that's so beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, Nikki. Now I wanted that. I know. <laughs> I think everyone <laughs> listening is like, okay, tonight. <laughs> Yeah, the kids are going to go to bed. I'm going to go into my room. (laughs) I'm like you though, (laughs) late night, like late night, kids asleep. That is just my moment. I love it. (laughs) I love it. First of all, I want to say thank you. You have completely inspired me and made me so hungry. I cannot wait to go bake. (laughs) (laughs) I have one last question, but before I get to that, can you just let people know where they can find you? Oh, yeah. I'm on Instagram at Samantha Senevaratna. I'm also on TikTok and Facebook at the same. It's just my name. You can find me everywhere. Hmm. Easy peasy. (laughs) And the name of your new book that's coming out in the fall? It's called Bake Smart. Awesome. Okay, (laughs) Sam, one last question for you. This one's just a fun one. It is your last meal on earth. What would it be? (gasps) My last meal on earth. You know what I really love? I love linguine with clams. Mm. I think that might be my favorite meal of all. Linguine with clams and a warm chocolate chip cookie. (laughs) I love it. I love asking this question because every guest has said something that I'm like, 
I haven't had that in so long. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't either. Why haven't I made that recently? So thank you. Well, thanks so much. It's so great catching up with you. I can't wait to see what comes next. I can't wait to see your new book. And I wish you the very best of luck in everything. Thank you, Nikki. This was so fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If this work resonates with you in any way, you can support it by leaving a review or comment or sharing it with friends. Also, you can sign up for the newsletter, Mind, Body, Spirit, Food. And by becoming a paid member for just $5 a month, you help fund this entire project. Thank you so much to all of you who are already subscribed, especially to those paid subscribers. This work could not happen without you. I'm Nikki Sizemore, and as always, remember to nourish yourself with intention and love.